Namaskar. Welcome to P Guru's channel. I'm your host, Sri Ayer. This is episode 254. A shout out to our viewers to like this program so it can reach its maximum potential. Today is Monday, the 27th of September, and here are the main points. We seem to have a bit of a technical difficulty here, but we are back up and running. Here are the main points. Um, Afghan fallout continues. Mallorca says 12,000 illegal Haitians released into the United States from encampment under the Del Rio Bridge. Smaller nations from the Caribbean meet Indian Prime Minister Modi and thank India for vaccines. Social Democrats claim victory with a narrow margin in German elections coming to power after 2005. Israel troops kill five Hamas gunmen in Hamas raid and PLA tells the United Nations that Israel is moving towards one state solution. Without further ado, let's welcome our guest for today, Sridhar Ji. Sridhar Ji, Namaskar and welcome to P Guru's channel, sir. Good morning, Namaskar to everybody and uh, looking forward to another session and good evening to those in India. Uh, Sridhar Ji, let's start with the Afghan fallout. Uh, you know, lots of things are happening. The allies left behind after U.S. withdrawal uh, are in a desperate life and death choice. Taliban is hanging dead bodies in Afghan city. There is uh, one more from a Black Hawk helicopter. And, and uh, many permanent citizens are trapped in Afghanistan and they don't believe they are safe. The Taliban founder says strict punishments including amputations to resume. Cruz and GOP senators pressed Biden on the Afghan brides. This is a new story. Sridharji, let's just look at these things and then we can continue on, sir. Well, I think the uh, uh, Afghan is what you're beginning to see is uh, a summation of the many issues uh, that, that are being brought to light as a as by virtue of this abnormal exit. Now it's kind of, you know, more than, uh, it's almost, uh, you know, six weeks or, you know, close to five weeks since uh, this, I'm not taking August 31st. I'm talking about August 15, 16th, when this thing began. Um, so many people are left behind, and they are all in difficult situation and crying foul that, uh, you know, the, what was promised was not delivered. And this applies to the allies as well. Allies were also caught at sharp notice. But what is conspicuous, what is more even conspicuous is that the capital punishment is back. Remember that one of the terms of the agreement that was signed was the normalization of democracy or normalization of democratic principles as well as following the human rights uh, in terms of the dispensation of the law. None of these things are being followed through by Taliban and they have completely violated what was supposed to be the key element that was enshrined in the exit agreement. Worse, they have hung somebody in the main street for public display to instill fear. And I also saw the video of a guy being hung from a Hawk, Black Hawk helicopter. So all this is making things very unpalatable. And yet these people have written to United Nations and they say that, you know, one should consider. Remember Mr. Imran Khan saying, you know, they should consider a normalization of relationship with Taliban and must be uh, allowed to speak. Now, the point that you made, and then and then I hand it over, is the brides. A lot of young kids, and they were brought in by these tall, hefty Afghans. Apparently, they were sexual abuse victims, 
and they claim because they can't speak the language that these people were their brides. So the people are asking, are we bringing sex offenders and child abusers into United States? Do you have any answers, Mr. Biden? So that's the question that's being posed. Sir. And Italy and Russia are not in a mood to recognize Taliban, but they want to accept aid to people. So this is a humanitarian thing now. And we'll have to wait and see how this plays out. In the meantime, Nancy Pelosi sets Thursday to vote for the 1.1 trillion infrastructure bill that has bipartisan support. Moderates and progressives soften their respective positions on the mega three and a half trillion Build Back Better Act. And Senator Haggerty says the Democrats are waging war on capitalism through the tax system. So this is uh, fairly clear that the Democrats want to tax the rich to, to pay, make up for some of the shortfalls or the expenses that they are trying, they're planning. Is there, is it going to be enough just taxing a few rich people? I don't think it is taxing the few rich people. So it is taxing across, you know, that uh, minimum tax goes up from, you know, corporate tax goes, from, goes up from 21 to 29 percent. That means the uh, small businesses are affected. You know, small businesses are not the most wealthy people either, you know. There's more than 5 million here, businesses here. which are in huh? Here, here. <laughs> more than, yes, here. There's more than 5 million businesses which has a turnover of 100,000 to 150,000 per year. I mean, they're not, you know, rich people. They have to pay a little bit of salary, expenses, rent and so on. What are they left with? So these are not people who are, uh, you know, uh, rich. They, this is the tax is going to cut through right across. One of the reasons why we have not held a, uh, a fireside is we're just still waiting for this thing to yes. wrap up before we can have a session and do a detailed breakdown. You'll see it's astonishing. It's still not enough because the, 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 the dollars that is being given is enormous. And we have already reported two incidences of fraud in the dispensation of some of the stimulus programs. And um, DHS Mayorkas says 12,000 illegal Haitians were released into United States from the encampment under Del Rio Bridge. Videos have emerged where drug cartels from Mexico are smuggling people into central Texas. DHS admits approving DACA applicants in uh, DHS approving DACA applicants was in violation of court orders. And senators and Trump say U.S. will never recover from Biden's open borders assault as he reshapes cities and neighborhood. Sir, this thing about allowing illegal unions to come in without checking for uh, pandemic and without checking for their papers properly is basically a slap on the face of Trump and his policy to try and limit immigration. But then what about the rest of America? What did America do, sir? Well, I think it is. Uh, this is one of the agenda items of our great friend Bernie Sanders and the progressive group. They don't believe in closed borders. They believe in open borders. Now, you are highlighting a couple of these facts, which is namely these people being let in without masks, without uh, COVID-19 uh, testing, without proper documentation. It has reached the stage even the left-wing publications or left-wing media like CNN and MSNBC are reporting these cases, which is to say, hey, how can you have this type of a policy? But what is worse, what is worse 
is two important things. One, apparently now there's evidence of videos that I've seen that drug cartels coming into the country and dropping these people right in the middle of very important main neighborhoods in Texas and Southern Texas. It's only a matter of time before they drive into Arizona, Florida, and other places. And uh, that's the first part of it. The second part of it, some of these guys who escape, obviously there is some insider help. We reported one incidence of these Haitians picking up a bus and driving their way into some place. We also saw from, I think it's Fort Blixer, one of those bases, this uh, illegal Afghans who came in and who were, uh, who were kept until such time they were validated and tested, hiring Ubers and getting out. So there is obviously, this is a very concerted and coordinated set of actions. And this cannot happen unless there is some insider help, sir. Texas to hire all the border agents if Biden fires them as the crisis deepens. Borders are now open channels for the invasion of the United States. Indian External Affairs Minister is on a three-day visit to Mexico with trade and investments to focus and build bilateral partnerships. Smaller nations from the Caribbean meet Indian Prime Minister and thank India for vaccines. The vaccine diplomacy that India launched on, we had predicted it on DGI, is a huge success. And with now India becoming a net exporter of vaccines, I think the sky is the limit in terms of what India can accomplish in terms of human and you know diplomatic relations. I see all positive stuff, Sridharji. The only thing that I have concern is if India can make uh, the number of vaccines that they think they can make. Your thoughts, sir? Uh, right now, I think that uh, you summarized it quite well. Right now, I know between two manufacturers who have committed something close to 40 million each, 40 million plus 30 million, that I know is 70 million. They have plants opened in, uh, in Karnataka. They have a plant opened in Gujarat. Uh, there are, I think, a couple of plants coming up in UP. The... Johnson & Johnson has not yet been decided that Johnson & Johnson is also coming up. They believe they can hit a run rate of minimum 100 million or 120 million, you know, coming from January um, 2022, know, 2022, yeah. 2022, no, 2022. So that today they are around 70, 75 million run rate. That is the reason why they're able to vaccinate on an average six to seven million uh, per day which translates to pretty close to about 180 million to 150 million, depending on some days of lower averages uh, per month. So that's why India has climbed, if you recall, very quickly to that. Now it is 865 or 866 million people vaccinated, of which about 625 or 630 million is dose one. So you can see that they have accelerated and ramped up these vaccine capabilities uh, they have gone away from this for coaxin. They're not reliant on United States for APIs. They seem to have indigenized or procured from someplace uh, the, the, the APIs, so which is also helping them to be non-reliant on United States. And India and the United States are working towards reconvening trade policy forum early next year. This is one of the outcomes of Modi and Biden discussions. The World Bank makes presentation to the Railway Minister 
on funding the national rail plan that includes a bullet train corridors, um, dedicated freight corridors, high speed and other infrastructure projects. This would be a massive infrastructure in, infusion which would I think be very good because net, it, you, infrastructure projects are always net positive, isn't it Sridharji? Infrastructure projects are the umbilical cord of a developed or a developing economy. Um, India cannot stand still with its present infrastructure uh, if it has to scale from a 3 trillion to 5 trillion and a 5 trillion to 10 trillion. And infrastructure doesn't happen overnight. Infrastructure can only happen if it is methodically thought out and you know built over a period of 10, 20 years. China, if, uh, you know, I have visited China in the 70s uh, and, you know, early 80s. And in the 70s and 80s, there's only a couple of planes flying. Many of these places that you're talking about, Guangzhou, Shenzhen, uh, even uh, Shanghai was a shanty town. The only place that you could go to was Beijing. So China built, oh, it took about 30 years for them to build. And one of the greatest urban development projects or programs that was launched. So from the 80s, it took about 2000 to 2008 for them to build. So at least India has is building what, what I call as a, a three-tier architecture. One is the super fast trains. The second is the fast train corridors. And the third, we covered this in the part of it we covered in the Daily Global Insights, uh, is the dedicated freight corridors with logistics, uh, logistical capabilities for storage and multimodal uh, transport mechanism. That's the only way you can move goods. That's the only way you can uh, socialize or you can uh, nationalize the manufacturing, not have gridlocks by being located in specific countries. The fact that the World Bank it wants to participate and help not only in the know-how, but execution of the project. And I think they are willing to put somewhere close to 40,000 crores. This is the program where um, uh, you know, uh, Steve Schwarzman said he has invested $60 billion in India and he wants to invest. He has already allocated another $40 billion. So total $100 billion is coming from BlackRock, just one single institution uh, recognizing that infrastructure is, uh, is, uh, uh, is an important element. The only place of caution, only thing that he wants is don't repeat the U.S. mistake and make sure that you follow something like an Australian or a Singapore or even a Chinese model where the payback from these investments is somewhere in the two to four years or five years, not in the 12 years. In the United States, the payback is 12 years for the infrastructure projects. Yes, and we will wait and see how this plays out. It should be very good because India is poised for this takeoff. Taiwan believes that it could play a pivotal role in Coast Guard activities and cybersecurity as part of Quad activities. A British frigate was sailing through sensitive Taiwan Strait en route to Vietnam on Monday. And Xi Jinping writes to Taiwan opposition leader who has pledged support to China that the situation in Taiwan Strait is grim. Um, this is unusual for the head of a state to write to the opposition leader in another country. I mean, not quite unusual, but it's a little unusual in the context of China, Taiwan. What do you make of it, Sridharji? Xi Jinping thinks he owns Taiwan. Hmm. He thinks it's a renegade province which he needs to rein in, very similar to Hong Kong. So he has the audacity to write to the opposition leader. Uh, you know, just as, uh, I mean, China writes to people, 
when China comes to India, when you have a new protocol, it goes and meets the opposition parties and then, you know, has its own, you know, forays, violating the new protocols. Imagine Modi going to China and meeting the dissident leaders of Xi Jinping. So this is the guy, you know, who talks about asymmetric principles in terms of his engagement. So it was, it's astonishing that he is trying to make way, but basically divide. He wants to, wherever it's possible, create a wedge. And the opposition leader is far more sympathetic to China in terms of having a dialogue. I very much doubt whether he wants to surrender his country, but at least he wants to have a dialogue. Anyway, I think that two things that, that has come out is that there seems to be now a growing momentum to empower China, uh, Taiwan to protect itself. But China, Taiwan also has got significant amount of technology know-how, especially around the cyber security. They want to leverage Taiwan. That seems to be a good news. Now, at least British uh, Queen Elizabeth uh, or Her Majesty HMS Elizabeth is now making its voyage around the or these are frigate. It's not the, um, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the the naval vessel, but it's a frigate which is making a round around the Taiwan Strait, flexing its uh, muzzle. So it's a very, I mean, it all its next point of action seems to be somewhere around the Taiwanese Strait. What is U.S. policy towards China? Soft and appeasement and Biden doesn't have the courage or guts to confront China, say experts. Sridharji, we have got a lot of information now on this. Podcasts are coming out. People are giving interviews in various TV channels, including the left channels such as CNN, CNBC. Everybody is now beginning to get concerned over what we had raised probably, what, months ago. It's heartening yeah. to know that we were right all along. Um, Let's take a look at the big picture. What exactly are the problems that Biden faces? Is it that all the opposition country leader, all the country leaders now have the goods on the Bidens? Well, basically, I think that I think we have covered this uh, in a U.S. context. He has two challenges. First and foremost challenge is he has got a diverse set of advocacy groups in his administration. Um, and, you know, they, they probably belong to various uh, flanks, ranging from uh, those who are uh, left-wing policies, those who have socialist policies, those who have open immigration policies, those who have labor union policies, those who have sympathetic uh, towards some of these Islamic nations, those who have Iran sympathetic. So you have a whole swag of constituents driving Biden from left to right, and it even begs the question, is it Biden who is running or there is a surrogate who is running the Biden's policy and framework is just simply made to sign papers because everything is choreographed. So you have one. That's one set of issues that he is facing. The second set of issues that he's facing is that it is becoming more and more evident as people begin to speak. There's still he's compromised with his own relatives being engaged with China in business activities. So any enforcement in China is going to hit her back. And this is becoming apparent. I mean, we don't want to name the names, but the names are very evident to people. But this is the second set of issues that he is facing. Uh, so with these two uh, problems, how do you then construct a coherent policy? Everything seems to be contradictory. He says something then, his State Department, uh, you know, uh, contradicts. His uh, Defense Department contradicts. His Chief of, uh, uh, you know, Armed Services contradicts. 
And then you have his policy people, White House administration policy people contradicting. And then you have all these foreign leaders coming in. He says one thing, then he goes to United Nations and he basically says, hey, you know, uh, I'm not here for confrontation. If you're not here for confrontation, then why are you having all these things? Then uh, why are you enacting all these policies? And so this is where Biden is conflicted by virtue of constituents in his administration and his own relatives who are putting him in position of compromise. I think this is where we are getting, it is going to somewhere sooner or later, it is going to, um, you know, hit the roof. And the outcome is uncertain in a closely fought LDP election in Japan with voting happening on Wednesday. Australian Prime Minister refuses to commit phasing out fossil fuels unlike his American counterpart. Sridharji, Australia is in one of those unenviable positions. They have China on their doorstep. They also have to had to break their deal with France and sign up with the United States. One wonders what the reason is. Maybe it was a technological upgrade. We don't know. That part nobody is telling. And now they are saying that they will have to continue using fossil fuels. I mean, that doesn't do great for climate change, which is one of the top agendas of the Biden administration. So there are some conflicting things coming out. What do you make uh, out of all these things happening in that region, Sridharji? What I'm saying is Australia is threatened, as you rightly said. Um, there's a line of sequence that uh, people have drawn. Uh, Taiwan, Japan, Australia, in that specific order. If Taiwan is breached, Japan is next, following which is Australia. So therefore, it is vulnerable. Second, with the trade embargo and unwilling to participate with China, it cannot afford to have energy, which is its fossil fuels, being um, compromised, and that will have a significant dent on the economy. So that's the second part. So therefore, they are not going to buy into this, uh, you know, green energy. They say that you know they are compliant. They have, uh, you know, a, a, a hole in the ozone layer. They themselves are impacted, but they're managing it. But the point that you're making about is the Os, um, AUKUS, um, you know, AUKUS. this is Australia. Yeah, Australia-UK-US partnership. I, if I have to read between the lines, if you look at the uh, France, France is very strongly positioned with India and other nations. Australia is very strongly positioned with India, Japan, and some of the Pacific nations. I have a feeling that the only way that UK could get in is, you know, some deal being struck by United States where UK can come in and legitimize its role in the Indo-Pacific region. Otherwise, they were left out. They, they were last in the game. And in the process, you also got left out. So EU chose wisely. They did not come to United States. They went to India. So EU, we covered this in daily global insights. They're trying to find a passage and stake a claim in Indo-Pacific using India as its gateway into that specific, into, into that region and become part of the Armageddon, which will participate in the trade. So this is how I read that UK was shown some kind of courtesy by the Anglo-Saxon nations, if I have to use that phrase, friendly Anglo-Saxon old colonies, uh, and, you know, UK got in. Otherwise, there's no justification uh, for that specific deal. Of course, 
money matters. $95 billion is $95 billion rather than in the French pocket, it is in the UK pocket. And there's no small change. Social Democrats claim victory with a narrow margin in German elections coming to power after 2005. Erdogan says he will buy more Russian equipment and including a second S-400 and that no nation can dictate its domestic policy. So essentially, Turkey is pushing back at the United States despite the sanctions on it. And they're feeling pretty bullish about it. Sridharji, your takeaway, sir, on this and what does it mean for India? Should India sign the deal with uh, Russia on the S-400? No, there is no country in the world which can enforce, least of all United States. United States has got plenty of things to get its own act together. United States has to sort out its own budget problem, its own legacy of Biden's presidency. The last thing that he's looking for is imposing more trade sanctions. I have forgotten to mention this. And this was heard, this was done in the briefings, which the Israeli ambassador, he's a former, I forget his name, his, he's, he was a Korean ambassador who is being sent to Israel. He made this observation, which mainstream media dusted it off. It's called BDS, the new foreign policy of, uh, of uh, uh, Biden administration is B, represents BDS. B stands for no bans. D stands for no disinvestments. And S stands for uh, no sanctions. So no bans, no disinvestments, no sanctions. Diplomacy is the way to go. So why would, if you are India, why would you be worried when you are protecting your own country with S-400? Why? And Turkey is saying, you are not a country to impose on me. I'm not only buying the second S-400, not the first. He's ordering the second S-400. Plus, he's saying, I'm ordering more ballistic and other types of ammunitions to protect myself because I'm in hostile territory. Remember, it's not United States alone. It is also EU. He is part of the EU. None of them are going to act. So why would anybody be worried, sir? Nobody will be worried. So therefore, this is a red hearing to say somehow U.S. is going to put impose sanctions on India. So India should be worried about the S-400. No, it's not going to be. Uh, it, it should proceed with its own. And now it's all the more justifiable because Biden has left $87 billion with plenty of Black Hawk helicopters there. So why would um, United States uh, be able to enforce anything? F-35s? India, they're cutting defense budgets. You know, they're reducing the defense budget in United States. So therefore, what's the guarantee the F-35 and the new stealth has funding from the Biden administration? So therefore, I think that when you don't want to have bans, disinvestments and sanctions and you don't want war and you want diplomacy, India should go ahead as Turkey is going ahead, as Iran is going ahead, as Taliban is going ahead, as Iraq is going ahead, as Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula is going ahead. Everybody is going ahead with their specific programs. There's no sanctions. And viewers, you need to look at both sides. Um, in in the other uh, hangouts that we do, we take to tend to take a slightly different stance. The idea here is not to try and tell you which is right and which is wrong. 
The idea here is to give you all the viewpoints and let you make your decision. Two things that stand out here. One is there is there's a group of people who say that Russia is playing second fiddle to China. And there is, there's another group of people saying that Russia is not playing second fiddle to China. Russia is not using Chinese technology for some of their arms and armament because that is their crown jewels. And, and, and by the way, viewers, uh, Abhijit Iyer is back. He will be taking questions at 9 p.m. IST. That's about two and a half hours from now. So do tune in for that. But quest the, the most important point I want to take away here is this channel is educating you. It's an education. It is giving you perspectives. You need to come up to your own decision. You have to make your own decision. Don't go by our word. And thanks for watching and listening. Here's the next news, sir. Israel troops killed five Hamas gunmen in Hamas raid and PLA tells the United Nations that Israel is moving towards a one-state solution. Uh, Russia's Lavrov says Mali asked for private Russian military company for help to fight jihadis. The US envoy to travel to Sudan after an attempted coup attempt. Let's take a quick look at this is all the Sahel region. Again, we were one of the first ones to kind of, you know, take out and put out this thing that there is a lot of action, activity going on here. Sridharji, your take. So my take is very simple. Uh, you can see that in the African continent that uh, you basically have uh, uh, Russia uh, holding its way, France is holding its way, the terrorists are holding its way. Remember, United States put money into Sudan and said that, you know, it's great. The United States deputy secretary responsible for Sudan was there, gave them, you know, money and said, let's re go back to democracy. One week later, we covered this in Daily Global Insights. Yes, One we week did. later, you have a coup attempt. So therefore, they're rushing uh, because there is this very volatile region and you can't control and you put more money and there's no outcome because the people have to rise and do. So that to, to conclude on this African situation, it is free, open sesame and you have France, you have um, Russians and you have... Um, the uh, the Americans all playing a pie along with ISIS-K, along with the Al-Qaeda of the Arab, Arab Peninsula, all these places. And then you move into the Yemenis region, uh, then you know the Houthis and the, the Iranian groups playing, play, uh, playing its part. So this is the net summary of what's going on. Israel, we covered this, and I think we made also this point in the last with Middle East no longer the focus of United States. Please remember this point. Middle East is no longer the focus of United States with eyes on China. Israel has to fend for itself. It has reached out to every nation. It met the Bahrainis and the UAE in New York. It has silently reached out to Jordan and striking an accord. It is conceivable that Iran will, Israel will solve the Palestinian issue by itself with the neighboring nations like Egypt and Jordan and so on. Even Iraq has called for a friendly relationship with Israel. So what you are seeing is the realignment and, um, and, and focus taking place and countries taking their own respective positions and moving forward. I just want to wrap up with one set of sentiments that uh, Sriji. So Sriji, you know, talks to me and talks to a number of other people. So, you know, I give my perspectives the way I see it and the way I read it. Now, I'm not suggesting that time will tell what I have stated is right or wrong. But based on the data that I see, 
Uh, I also sit on policy bodies in United States. So therefore, what I see, I give an opinion. So similarly, I think as Sriji said, different people sit on different think tanks, different bodies they give. So what you're getting is yeah, what you call a panoramic view uh, of the universe. And you can begin to see from which vantage point you are looking and what perspectives uh, you are getting. So I think that's, uh, that's my concluding kind of comment. The German election is one last. Fortunately, the center left has won after 2005. They were fearful that whether the left or the right, extreme left or extreme right would come. Fortunately, both have not come. Uh, and Merkel has stated that she still has a chance. Her party has a chance. I don't think so. The party is gone. I feel the left, uh, I feel the social Democrats will, for, will form the party and which will be much more inward focused as well as far more uh, uh, what you call uh, rather than more conservative. Um, Angela Merkel was more conservative, whereas the, left, uh, the, the, the social Democrats would be much more inward focused and you may begin to see some calibration of the policy. Absolutely. A strong Germany is essential for a strong EU. So we'll wait and see how it plays out. In markets, uh, markets now are pointing to gains after a wild week last week as we conclude the September 30th quarter this week. Sridharji, your thoughts on the markets and then we can wrap. Uh, I think September 30th is here. So I think that we'll begin to see more gyrations as we finish September. Remember, this is a budget week. On Thursday, we're going to have a decision. Until that thing goes on, you're beginning to see. And then China doesn't keep quiet. It just goes on sneezing. Uh, so, you know, it, it began to ban crypto uh, currencies uh, in its country. And what is happening? Most of the crypto exchanges are unbundling themselves with linkages to Chinese individual investors. Very important. Chinese individual investors were part of this evolution will be our being. Who is the loser? The Chinese common man is the loser as he is cut off from the mainstream worldview of economic activities. Absolutely. And this is essentially going back to Maoism. That's what Xi Jinping is trying to take his country. We've been telling you this in our hangouts with Elmer Yuan. Again, it goes back to giving what we see is the different perspectives of what's happening in and around the world. Thanks for joining. Do subscribe. Do join our membership. And always, as soon as the program starts, please do like. Today, we had a banner day and we hope to continue to go from strength to strength. Thank you very much, Sridharji. Namaskar. And we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you. Namaskar. Have a wonderful day or have a wonderful evening.